0: this is sage talking if your brain is ready to soak up some natural informative and no bs knowledge then you're in the right place join me in talks about nature people health sustainable businesses and everything in between you won't miss out on the occasional politics and interviews with ecopreneurs either p.s i want to know what you want to know so send in questions or topic requests on my ig at thrive underscore by nature
1: hey and thank you for being here Dr. Sparsha Saha, I'm a lecturer at Harvard University. I teach a course on the costs of animal agriculture. It's a small course, so kind of like a seminar. Um, And so in that course, we we go through all of the scientific literature. Uh, We also look at theory that that touches on the ethics of animal agriculture. So really it's a survey of many of the impacts and many of the negative costs associated with the human demand for for meat and dairy and, and seafood. The course doesn't cover all of the other ways that we use animals um, in fashion, in research, um, you know, wild animals that are killed uh, for clearing land or for. Um, you know ranchers, uh, so so that so be, that, as I always like to tell my students, there are many more ways than just animal agriculture that we harm uh, other beings on this planet. Um, so so that's the coursework I do. I'm I'm trying to pitch um, another course uh, to my my department that's bigger. So I'll I, I hope I can um, keep touching as many students as possible with this information. My research focuses on political barriers associated with talking about animals, bringing other beings up in our politics. Um, And my focus is on the U.S. context, so I use experiments um, focused in the U.S., and certainly there's a need to uh, ask this question in other country contexts as well, but that my expertise is in the U.S. Um, And so I use experiments to try to get a sense of how voters would react to politicians bringing up issues relating to animals, specifically farm animals. Uh, So that's what I'm interested in, in terms of... um, contributing uh, to, to the ways in which those politicians who might be willing to talk about animals uh, can learn, A, that there is some support for it, that, that there's not backlash for bringing up farm animals, and two, how to, how to talk about it, that this is an area of research where uh, I, I hope to contribute. So my current work doesn't necessarily get at different ways of framing, uh, but I hope to, hope to um, do more work in that area.
0: Yeah that's that's fantastic and I'm so grateful that there are people like you who use um you know this tool of education to bring um up these topics in you know especially in an institution like Harvard I mean it's very um renowned and everything, but there's still no matter where you go, there's, I think, in my opinion, really a lack um, of mm. education um, surrounding environmental topics, it's true. It's animal agriculture. So it's really great that you're doing it. And There must be people who are pushing this more and more. I'm actually trying myself um, to bring um, awareness and education about the climate crisis into schools around here, which oh, is incredibly wonderful. hard. Yes, I, yeah. I can imagine how
1: hard it must be. Yeah, yeah there, I, I there I are a lot a, of yeah. barriers
0: barriers there and there's also a lot of reluctance um to kind of open up um you know a platform for these topics um so it's incredibly hard and I think it's great that you're doing it and obviously animal agriculture is one of the most important topics uh, in in tackling the climate crisis and in general it's just a really a really big important topic so and, and it's of course heavily discussed in the environmental space and for mm-hmm. very good reason but not so much in the political space yes. for completely different reasons so exactly. <laughs> so yeah what are some of the most um horrific factors of animal agriculture right off the bat because they would really want people to to understand um, the importance of this topic and the role that it plays and why it is so
1: paramount to address it Absolutely. And, and I'll just start by saying, you know, I, I really, it resonates with me that you are dealing with, with barriers and challenges to get this information to students. I'm very much in the same boat, sort of pushing against the current um, at Harvard. They're, they're, the, the course at Harvard that teaches the environment to, uh, to, to um, students, it's the Introduction to the Environmental Crisis course, it's a gen ed, doesn't cover animal agriculture at all. So that really tells you something, right? So students are taking this intro to the environmental crisis and not learning at all about the impact of animal agriculture. So, so really this is a big failure, um, but, but I think it underscores the extent to which it's very difficult for those of us who, who know about it uh, and who want to spread this information to, to, um, to make it be known. Yeah,
0: definitely. But-
1: but, yeah, so so the costs are, oh, well, you know, you'll have to shut me up at some point because there's so many of them. <laughs> um, so th- the way I tend to frame it is that there's ethical, um, health-related, and environmental costs associated with animal agriculture. So we can start with the environmental ones. Uh, I think most people know that figure from FAO. It's a conservative estimate. Um, of uh, the contribution of greenhouse gases, mainly through methane, uh, and it's it, it's a roughly 20%. It's roughly 20%, about a fifth of all greenhouse gases um, are caused by animal agriculture. Um, we can get into, I'm happy to kind of talk about why that's a, actually a very conservative estimate uh, about greenhouse gases, but perhaps the more important point is that our discussion of climate change is really narrow and we don't think about other planetary boundaries. And in fact, there are two other planetary boundaries which are essentially the, the, the it defines the limits uh, within which humans can safely operate on this planet. And there are other ones besides climate change that are important. Uh, the two others we've exceeded are biodiversity loss and also the nitrogen cycle. So this relates to eutrophication, which is those bodies of dead, dead zones of water in the ocean where there's no oxygen, so life can't survive, and you tend to see a lot of algae blooms because there's too much nitrogen, um, in, in, in a, dif- a form of nitrogen in, in the water. So we've exceeded the planetary boundary for, for the nitrogen cycle, and the leading cause, the driver of that, is animal agriculture. So it's the, the dominant um, contributor uh, out of everything. So, so when we're talking about that planetary boundary that we've exceeded, animal agriculture is the culprit. The other one, biodiversity loss, um, Uh, Animal agriculture is also the culprit uh, behind that. Scientists don't yet have a good hold on measuring biodiversity loss, so this presents a bit of a problem, Uh, but recent research is showing that our measurements are severely flawed and that we're severely underestimating um, the impact on biodiversity loss that we're having on the planet. What we know is that um, animal agriculture is the largest anthropogenic use of land. It's the leading cause of habitat destruction, particularly in um, uh, rainforest uh, in in, in important areas like the Amazon. So, in the Amazon, it's it's not the paper we're using or or um, you know the the tofu we're eating. It's it's the the meat. (laughs) Um, And and I've even had uh, had to have discussions with with very very intelligent educated people where I've, I've shared this with them and told them look we know from um, from from evidence we know that um, the reason why the Amazon forest is, is being uh, destroyed and that has an impact on biodiversity loss is is because of meat uh, and uh, he turned to me and and you know I generally I think struggle with people not taking me seriously or competently for various reasons and he said no I heard it's I heard it's soy and I had to inform him that most of the soy goes to animal feed. So there really is just this, even among people who, you know, who, who we tr- conventionally think of know, as knowing a lot, uh, they're not receptive to the information. They tend to discount it uh, or discount the people who are giving them the information. And this has been my experience in, um, in, in, in elite settings, in elite educational settings where uh, it, it's, it, it's very, it ruffles feathers to kind of bring this up. But yes, so the way scientists kind of think about biodiversity loss is that um, animal agriculture is a leading cause of habitat destruction, and therefore most likely the leading cause of biodiversity loss on our planet. Uh, and this is completely a moral abrogation of responsibility on the part of humans. We have the ability, we have created, we have taken over this planet, uh, and now we are le- we are causing uh, the extin- extinction of species uh, on an unprecedented rate. Um, and, and I think by now, it, it, you know, this idea of a sixth mass extinction is, is, is reaching consensus that we are at the start of one that, was caught, that is caused by humans, in particular, the human demand for meat. So whether we look at the planetary boundary of climate change, where animal agriculture is elite, is, is a significant component, or whether we're talking about biodiversity loss or the nitrogen cycle, and there are other planetary boundaries, water use, which we are fast approaching, particularly in certain hot spots around the world where we know uh, meat and dairy uh, use up a disproportionate amount of water, uh, scarcity-weighted water, fresh water use. Uh, so so whatever boundary we really look at, particularly the three where we've exceeded, uh, we see how relevant this discussion of animal agriculture is because it has impacts across, across all three of these major ones. Um, when it comes to health um, I tend to divide this up into two I, I, I like to talk about non communicable and communicable diseases so um, for non communicable diseases these are uh, things like heart disease diabetes um, cancer uh, I mean we, we know pro- we know processed meat that 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 stuff we put in sandwiches and give to our children <laughs> that's a known carcinogen according to the WHO um, and and I, I, it's just shocking to me that that um, you know we, we have such a concern about asbestos and other carcinogens and and yet when we know something is a known carcinogen we're still giving it to the people we love um, so and and, pro- and red meats are probable carcinogens according to the WHO um, the field of nutritional epidemiology is very important I think it's it's really showing us. Uh, the way that food um, which we're putting into our body determines our health. And increasingly, I would say, due to special interests in pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, it's, it's just treating the symptoms, right? Take this pill, take this pill. But we know how much food can do for our bodies, how much healthy plant-based foods can do for our body to heal us. Um, so there's, there's such, so many, uh, what's called, you know, these uh, co-benefits of switching to plant-based diets because we're just gonna become healthier and more vibrant uh, as, 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 as a group of beings um, if we rely on plant-based foods. Uh, when it comes to communicable diseases, uh, I mean, I think the, the the one that we kind of think of as pandemics, right? And um, if you read the UN's report on preventing the next pandemic, the number one and number two reasons are number one, human demand for meat, and two, factory farms. Uh, there, We can talk about sort of why animal agriculture is, it's, it's called a, sor- a source and a bridge of pandemics. Um, it's related to habitat destruction. Oftentimes, um, these uh, farm animals are sort of on that boundary between wild species spaces and spaces that have been cleared for for domesticated animals. Uh, And so they're the bridge that kind of transmits some of these these viral infections. In the realm of bacteria, antibacterial-resistant strains of bacteria are now a leading cause of death globally. The WHO estimates that uh, 10 million people are going to be dying each year from antibacterial-resistant strains of bacteria. And we seem to know in society, uh, you know, there was a big push about, Doctors, don't over-prescribe antibiotics. This is leading to antibiotic resistance. It's really bad. But humans only use 20% of the antibiotics that we produce on this planet. Farm animals use 70 to 80% of the antibiotics we produce on this planet. So that's a glaring hole, uh, and it's not well regulated. I think Europe does a little bit better about this, uh, but certainly in the US and emerging emerging, uh, economies like China and Brazil, um, it's not regulated at all. And it's really scary because it could put our, um, it could put our modern medicine back, it could take us back to the Stone Age, where a simple cut leads to sepsis that is not able to be treated by antibiotics and, and the person dies, right? So this is what we're talking about. Um, and then finally, ethical, I mean we could go on and on. <laughs> this uh, 77 billion farm animals are killed every single year millions of wild animals related to that animal agriculture, one to two trillion wild fish, about 140 uh, uh, million uh, farmed fish, it might be, a, yeah, it's about, I think, a million uh, farmed fish, um, and then, you know, billions of animals in labs. But, um, but just on this animal agriculture front, the amount, the number of beings that are systematically um, murdered, right? Uh, by by humans is is frankly astounding, and I think that we we're so caught up in sort of this ideology of carnism that we don't take a step step back and really consider what we're doing to billions of, of beings. It, it really is just shocking when you when you think about it. Um, there's also ethical costs for humans. So these are slaughterhouse workers, millions around the world who are in factory, you know, in, in a part of that factory farm process where we're making them, you know, someone doesn't grow up and, and want to be a slaughterhouse worker. This is dangerous, violent work. Uh, and we know that there are costs associated with that kind of work, PTSD, domestic abuse. There's other mental conditions. We've documented all of this and we're putting, you know, Humans at, at great emotional, mental, and physical risk by making them do this kind of work that they should not be doing, should not have to do. Um, in the, the field of environmental justice, is showing us how these um, negative impacts from animal agriculture are going to be felt, are felt disproportionately by the global south and minoritized communities. So those are the people who are going to be impacted by it. And then the simple question of food security. So if we're using what we know is that we use 83% of all farmland on this planet, 83% of all farmland on this planet goes toward feeding uh, farm animals. So, this is feed for them, this is pasture, and it produces just 18, 1 8, 18% of all calories and only 37% of protein. So, that means that what the 17% of that farmland is producing 82% of our calories and most of our protein, right? So, we're very inefficiently, we're very inefficient about how we're using land. And the, 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 the populations that benefit tend to be wealthy, <laughs> you know, tend to be uh, white, wealthy uh, countries. Um, and, and so in the future, when we have 10 billion people on this planet, not everyone can eat the way an American eats. We would literally need 178% more planet, more land to eat like the way an American eats, which is I think now something like 270 pounds of meat per person per year. So this is really a kind of a food justice Issue. Uh, this is a question of food security for people in the future, uh, and we're and we're failing them. Uh, and and what when it comes to water and land use, I'm I'm. This is, <laughs> you know, this is this is having a big impact on on my future plans as well because I, I I'm not seeing us going in a good direction.
0: This is incredible. If I'm going off, uh, I'm going off in a few. Uh, months to university and if my lectures are as good as this i'm going to
1: be the most happy <laughs> student in the world this is incredible thank Aww. you so so much I, um, I, I i know i went on and on and there's even more <laughs> for anybody who has
0: never maybe heard some of the, yeah. these facts before this is just i think a really great um eye-opening few minutes of really the impact that animal agriculture yeah. has and it's not just a burger it's not just a glass no. of milk there is an an entire world of of destruction, exploitation, yes. um, behind this one product that you're seeing in the in the grocery store shelf, and this is, I think, this disconnect is is one of the biggest problems that people are not seeing mm-hmm. um what is really behind that. I mean as you said uh, talking about um, uh, car- uh, carcinogens I mean mm-hmm. as well if I think about um, I mean my, my parents obviously never meant uh, anything bad yeah. Um, yeah. by it but if I think about how much milk I used to drink Ugh. as a kid and then you find out later that you know st- studies show that drinking just one glass of milk a day for women increases the chance of having breast, breast cancer, cancer by 80% I I'm know. thinking this is something know. you know you're never aware of and this is something that could determine your yep. future so yep. it's really incredible and um, this the the awareness about these
1: topics is just uh so, so not low. enough it's, no, it's so it's not. so low it's not and and, and and it's it's the fault of big companies it's the fault of governments and it's and it's also you know the it's also our own cognitive biases. Individuals are are not receptive to this information because it creates dissonance. It creates cognitive dissonance. uh, Because there's, you know, most people love animals. Most people don't think animals should be treated poorly. And yet our actions don't align with those values that most of us have. And so this creates an immense amount of anxiety. So we become closed off from the information. So the really the fault is I would say mostly kind of societal, but it's also upon us to reclaim our agency, reclaim our thinking and, and sit with the discomfort of it. Um, but but that's tough. That's that's very difficult, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think I really love because um you once said, you know, that a part of the barriers um that keep people from reducing meat consumption is also that we, you know, the way we hold on to this costly thing so much because and I quote you here What we eat is a reflection of our identity, our culture, our politics and our species dominance over nature. And especially the fact that dominance over nature part is one that is really also emotional and really hard for me to think about, you know, about treating, you know, living creations in these abhorrent ways and what are some of your thoughts you know on the reasons for this disconnection uh, to and this dominance over
1: nature in correlation to animal agriculture? I, I think that I think it's very complex and th- and, and this is this is why um, we need to learn much more about it and we and we don't have, a very good model of of kind of what what explains meat eating or resistance to meat eating um you know th- there's one that i think a lot of people use and it, it literally has i think like 30 factors right so so it, it it really is this complex web of social cultural historical political and economic factors so you know that that, that could be a course in and of itself but one of the i i think you know, when I, if I had to, you know, if someone um, was kind of asking for the elevator pitch, I, I would say, um, I would say capitalism is, has has reinforced um, this disconnect in, in such a way that I yeah. think it may be one of the biggest culprits. It's this kind of like consumer uh, ideology without, you know, cap- capitalism is fundamentally based in um, uh, treating, the treating the the wild, treating land, treating the resources of this planet as only for humans, and and to be specific, this is this is a this is a um, a, a, a creation of the West. Right, so so this is very much not in line with some of the 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 cultures um, of indigenous people of people from colonized spaces. This is this is a this is a Western paradigm of capitalism that that the that land can be conquered that it can that it can be owned by 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 uh, by the white man, right? And and that I think um, has has kind of grown in, in all of us so that, you know, a company fundamentally does not, does not pay a cost, right, for the waste and the impact that they have on the planet. They just don't. That's free. That's considered free. Nature is owned right? Uh, There's a great eco-feminist literature on this as well, where it really talks about how the environment has been gendered and therefore dominated. So I I think all these questions about gender and race uh, at the intersection are fundamental to how we need to understand and deconstruct the system that we've built about, you know, a living being or a a, a mountain or a tree, uh, fundamentally, you know, being a free-for-all. Right. Like it's it, it, it does it, do, it it can just be used. It can be owned. Right. And, and that yeah. to me is man's hubris. Right? Yeah. And I
0: think, um, you know, because I often uh, for myself, I love the expression of like the climate crisis being an umbrella crisis, because you as you said, uh, Racial, gender inequality, Mm. um, the climate crisis, animal agriculture, biodiversity loss—everything is interlinked. Social justice. There is no way, you know, around it. You can't tackle one of these issues without looking at all the other issues. You can't. And um, it's really just this is i mean as you said before it is so huge and we probably will have to do a second part because this is just something (laughs) you know that is so um yeah it just it's it's so complex and especially for people who maybe come in touch with this the first time it is incredibly overwhelming and it can be incredibly comfortable and confrontational to hear this that actually um you know besides of course what what government and policy changes have to do but what we as individuals as Mm. well you know have to look at how are we living what are we consuming and what can we change because every time we buy something we vote with our dollars we vote for Mm -hmm. how this was produced as well um i mean Mm. there's only so much we as individuals can do but it still plays a very very important uh role um but as to you touched before um, on diseases as well, viruses, pandemics, um, what is maybe something that people should be aware of in terms of disease and viruses uh, in correlation to animal farming that is obviously now a hot topic more than ever? Um, yeah. Like specifically, what is this link between us farming animals and, Mm -hmm, you know, viruses, diseases that then uh,
1: we come in contact with. Absolutely. Well, so so the way, um, you know, I think we can think best about it is that farm animals are a bridge and a source, right? Um, with, with bacterial resistance, they're a source. And that's because they're being given 70 to 80% of the antibiotics we produce. So, so we know that when you go to the doctor's office, if there's a doctor over prescribing antibiotics, that's really bad because bacteria will learn to be resistant to it. And so this is a leading cause of death now, but it's only going to get worse in the future. Um, and so we're it's so crazy to me that we have this awareness about the 20% of of it being used by humans, but no one really is talking about the, the other 70 to 80% that's just being given to animals. And it finds its way into waterways, it finds its way into the soil, it may just go straight to the consumer, right? So there's all these ways that it can it can transfer the, these antibacterial ba- resistant strains uh, of bacteria from, from farm animals. So in that case, it's a source. For viral, um, it's a source and a bridge. So it, it's a source in the sense that You know, um, oftentimes you're you're having farm animals stuffed into small spaces that are very dirty, and actually, this is why they're given antibiotics, right? Because it's so dirty. but uh, they're put into these small spaces, they're crowded. Sometimes you even, you're mixing uh, farm animals from different parts of the world, either during transport, at the final destination. And that's really creating conditions for viruses to be in contact with other viruses at really high rates or really uh, with, with a lot of frequency. And whenever you have viruses meeting other viruses, right? You can think of this as like in a city, right? When you're creating a city, condition, right? And you're you're putting animals together and mixing them all up. Um, viruses are just having a great time. They're like, "Oh my goodness, I can meet this virus, I can meet that virus." And the more viruses they meet, the higher the chance. This is all about chance. The higher the chance that you'll have a mutation occur that is extremely dangerous to humans that can then jump to humans, right? So that's the way to think about it in terms of sources that, you know, you're just kind of putting them into contact with each other. Now, as a bridge, it's, it's, it's a bit of a different story. So as a bridge, I, the way I tell my students to think about it is that well, you, can, you we can think of the Amazon rainforest. So we know the Amazon rainforest is being destroyed mainly for pasture. So um, the, the, the trees will get cut down and you have kind of at the end of the property here that line where it's, the, <laughs> it's, it's wild space, right? And, and the, before this line, it's, it's pasture space. Right, and so it's a large pasture, sp- pasture space. And so farm animals are increasingly coming into contact with wild animals and wild animals are increasingly under pressure, right? So their area that they can live in is getting, sm- because of us encroaching on their space, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And we know, right, when that happens, again, city metaphor comes into play, the viruses that are n- naturally occur in, in wild spaces, then also have a chance to be in contact with each other at higher and higher rates of frequency, right? So in these wild spaces, the animals are under pressure. They not, their immunity might be compromised because they're, they're under pressure, like ecological pressure. Uh, there are a myriad of other ways that we're impacting their space. And so viruses m- m- may be developing that are dangerous at higher rates. And then they jump to farm animals and then they jump to us. Right, because farm animals are right next to them in many cases. So, so source and bridge is, I think, a good way of of kind of thinking about both the spillover effects, right, from agricultural intensification of farm animals, uh, but then also as a source.
0: Yeah, incredible. Thank you so much. I think I, I want really everybody like who is listening um just to be aware. This is, again, all of this is is man-made. Like, this is mm-hmm. our farming. This is our yep. government. This is our choices. This is the way we handle things. This is the way we treat nature and this planet, dominance over nature and this planet, um, as well as over all other species. And um, this is just, this is our own doing. And this is, um, again, confrontational, but... Um, yeah this is this is us this is man-made this is not out of our hands and there are obviously many many other ways to do this there are many other ways um the way it has been done has been very different it hopefully will be different in the future if you know there will be um an awakening on a broader scale um and this can be done very differently for anybody who's thinking now of um, this myth of um, we will not feed the world. Uh, If Mm -hmm. we do it differently, it's actually the opposite, opposite because (laughs) the the way we're doing is so ineffective and so destructive that
1: there's so much more loss than there could ever be any gain. There's so many intersections to this problem, right? I, I think one of the ways in which As individuals right there's billions of us on this planet and increasingly capitalism is taking our time and forcing it into increased labor right and that makes it really difficult for people to do the critical thinking that they need to do about this to have the time to take actions about this so this also it, this also has to do with how we work uh, and what we consume so so it you know I, i'll it, think about all of the companies that exist to let's say create shampoo and all of the people who work at these companies who who make a living to to create shampoo and we we think about these things as necessities but but they're not i'll I'll tell you right now i use vinegar i use a little vinegar and water yeah. and after <laughs> after 2 weeks your, your body gets used to it. It doesn't, shampoo is actually making us smelly, right? So so capital, this is just one tiny example, but we think we need things and we do not need things. And, and I think this system of capitalism has put us into the state of, you know, having to work so much because we need to buy all the stuff that's getting more and more expensive so we work even, even more. And that's exactly what these big, <laughs> rich, wealthy people want. They want us to keep using our time to buy products that we don't need. So, I, you know, I, I encourage, and, and a part of this is governmental. So if, if people sometimes will ask me, what's the one governmental policy that you would, you would ask for to solve this problem? And I say having a three-day work week. Uh, uh, reducing so going from a a five day work week to a three day or four day week work week that we need to drastically change what our labor is going into so that we can use our energy and labor as individuals to reflect and change how we're moving in the world so so I just just to kind of say it's it's hard because. Because the world is making it harder for individuals. I wanted to touch on um, what
0: you also said before um, about um, animal agriculture that accounts for over 80% of all available farmland, um, but only provides about 18% of our total food calories, which generally, you know, is a really responsible and not really very intelligent use of land not even you know considering the air and water pollution soil depletion and so on and you know um, because governments know this and um, farmers see it and yet these practices are heavily subsidized so mm. what in your opinion are some of these main barriers to drastic policy
1: and agricultural changes Wow. I, I, think it's, I think it's very complex. I mean, from what we know of subsidies, certainly you know, in, across countries, um, there, there is a lot of support for, for meat and dairy companies. Um, in the U.S., I believe the last analysis I've seen was from Environmental Working Group, and that found that since 1995, and this is a very, very conservative estimate, um they didn't include a lot of things I would have included in that. But a conservative estimate is since nineteen ninety-five in the US, the US government has subsidized meat and dairy with fifty billion dollars. Um oh. so so yeah, so it's it's a it's a big deal. And and I think there are several factors that kind of get in the way of, of changes around this. Um I think uh, you know p- there is a question here about what what can an individual do and and i I'm very sympathetic to that because I think um there are certainly w- there's certainly limits to what individuals can do, but when it comes to food, I think we have more agency than we think, so one of the barriers I think i'm going to highlight first is just individuals, right, individuals we can we can vote with our money, with our pocketbooks, especially those who can, right, that there are certainly um, populations, particularly black and brown populations that ba- do not have access to healthy foods as much as these are these food deserts in the US. Um, so so I, I would say that the first step is just awareness among the public is, is not really there. Um, and, and there's so much, I think, Um, carnism, which is an ideology of meat eating, um, is so invisible and it's so strong and it has such a pull on all of us um, that it's it's difficult, I think, for regular people to entertain the idea that meat is killing them, it's killing the planet, and it's killing innocent beings. So, So that's the first, I think, barrier is just at the individual level. Among those of us like you and me who know about this, I think there is a barrier of social norms. It's very it's very difficult to bring this up in, in situations. So I think that's one of the ways in which we've been siloed in, in making changes at the individual level and, atti- and, and attitudes is because we feel a pressure to, to shut up, right? We feel a pressure when we're in mixed groups to not, to not bring up that, you know, the fish on that person's plate is part of the destruction of the ocean, right? Um, so it, 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 I think that the, the, kind, the information that would normally get spread pretty quickly is not getting spread very quickly because of social norms, because of individual level barriers. So that would be what I would highlight first. But, but after that, obviously there's money, there's special interests. So dairy, the meat industries, these are, uh, these are um, owned by just a few companies that have a lot of power that are extremely wealthy. Um, and they're very scary. They're scary groups. Um, uh, so, and and, and that, this is true also when it comes to fishing as well. Um, that you know you, you you actually do see a lot of like slavery on boats and um, uh, trade of drugs and and trade of people uh, on on big fishing boats and it's 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 not well monitored, um, but but I certainly think the amount the amount of money the amount of power that is both financial but also imaginary, especially in the U.S. Right there's that myth kind of of, of the American farmer, and I think that these big like the the farm bureau sort of uses its pocketbook to influence politicians, but they also, I think, use the imagination to influence politicians. And they, I think they, politicians think that the Farm Bureau, right, represents farmers, represents the American heartland, and it really, really doesn't. And actually, small farmers are being squeezed by these big corporate interests. These are really corporate interests. These are not necessarily rural interests here. Um, and so, I think this. I think that's another aspect of it is just money, um, and the influence of money, um, and the influence of special interests on pol on policymakers. Um, and then finally, I I would say that I think um, it is very difficult in democracies, because leaders rely on voters to stay in power, to take actions that require sacrifice, right? So if these subsidies were removed and, and redirected, um, meat prices would go up. Um, and that it's, it's very difficult in democracies to take something away because voters will punish leaders for that, right? So I think you're seeing a lot of inertia from, from leaders, you're seeing inertia from institutions um, who, who don't want to touch this because it would be political suicide, right? Yeah. So that's that's kind of a part of like the inertia of the systems we have built that are so big, they don't move, you know?
0: Do you also think um, sometimes that um, policy makers themselves don't really understand or have mm. sympathy for these issues?
1: i I think that 's certainly true. I think that there's many policy i think I would say the vast majority of policymakers probably have no idea
0: mm-hmm. about the
1: impact of meat they, they you know they, they should all be listening to the first part of our interview where I go over it so that they get some of this information um, I, so yes yeah, some, some don 't know i think in, and, and I can really only speak for the u s that 's the context I know in the u s um, so some don 't know, but in the u s you also have. Um, the right. This is the Republicans who ha- have come out as very anti-environment because of the Koch brothers. So this is has been de- kind of decades of sort of um, funding by uh, by these very wealthy individuals, and and they you know formed what's called the No Climate Tax Pledge, and basically every Republican has signed this No Climate Tax Pledge. So I think a lot of Republican voters, it's, it the the first step is like even to, to to going out and seeking the knowledge or being receptive to the knowledge is like willingness. And so on the right, there's no willingness. They've all signed a no climate tax pledge. They don't want to add, they don't want to know more about the ways that animal agriculture is destroying our, our environment and our planet and our health. They, they don't want to add that. So it's knowledge, it's the willingness not to know as well, which is a big part of it. But what I find most surprising is actually... Politicians on the left who we know are sympathetic. So I'm thinking of folk like Cory Booker. I'm thinking of folk like you know Tulsi Gabbard. So these are these are politicians on the left who who we I I know from my informal field work that they are sympathetic to these issues, but they don't bring them up either. Um, so so I think that it, it it's it's a it's willingness to know, lack of knowledge, willingness not to know, but on the left. Uh, I think it's fear of what I was talking about earlier, sort of retribution by voters that if this leads to meat prices going up, that's one of those third rails in in politics, right, kind of like retirement don't touch retirement, don't touch meat right yeah. um, so so I think that 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 to me is kind of more interesting in a way
0: yeah, I think that's um you you've summarized this so well because. I think um you know especially also you know this year there were elections in Germany mm. for a new chancellor and that was the same thing um where where some people they made surveys because they wanted to know how much would bringing up really environmental issues affect Um, you know votes because for Mm. some people they thought you know this is something almost a topic that people are annoyed by they don't want to hear about it anymore it's too big of an issue they don't want to you know they don't want prices to change they sometimes don't want policies to change but actually this was um, the first time that really almost um almost every party in Germany really had um, environmental issues um, on the docket. So that was really good, although, you know, the follow-up, Uh, or the follow through is a completely different subject, but still, um, Hmm. there was visibility. um, But um, what you were saying, especially also, um, you know, about the US uh, with um, meat prices, and then um, retirement, that's really interesting, these two topics. Yeah, because um, this is actually also retirement is also a big um, topic here, so yeah, I think that's really interesting. That as well, um, some politicians who are on the left and who are um, actually sympathetic just don't bring it up out of fear yeah. of being maybe scrutinized or something like that um, is is very interesting. So. Yeah. What actually would you do as a person who is obviously very, um, aware, uh, and, and would change a lot of things if you were in a power position? So I always love to ask, what would you personally do differently mm. if you were in charge, let's say the world's agriculture for
1: a day, what would be some of the top <laughs> changes you would make first? Oh God, if it was just a day, I'm not sure I would get much done, uh, <laughs> but I would certainly try, um. It's it's so funny that you bring that up because I think what you're saying here, right, is, is this perception of politicians that, that voters won't react well to this issue. And there is no political scientist who studies this, who, is a, who other than me, who tests whether, how voters react to these issues and, and shows this experimentally and empirically. And yet I can't find a job. Uh, so, so this just kind of shows you how I think upside down things are to me and how broken the systems are, because at least as an academic, despite knowing that I could really contribute a great deal, my discipline does not value my work and will not get, there are no jobs. So I, there's nothing for me to apply to in, in this field because no one else is studying it. So, so I think this, this kind of part of, part of the real challenge, I think is, um, uh, so i'm I'm in a non tenure track job so that's kind of the background here in the u s the the academic system is two tiered there's a non tenure track and a tenure track and if you're in a tenure track position you can really you have a lot of you have time to do research and uh, I'm not in a ten tenure track job I'm in a non tenure track job so yeah. I don't have a lot of control over my time my research moves really slowly right um, because I have to do a lot of teaching so um i I think that you're you, you see, a lot of times I see that the people who have the solutions are not the ones with power. And I think that's true of many issue areas. So it's, it's funny that you ask this. I think if, if I had some ability to do anything about this, the first step I would take would be to re- redistribute wealth from the wealthiest down. Because I think the accumulation of resources at the very top, growing inequality, is the biggest problem we have right now. What it means is that most people, right, work so hard and they see a fraction of that return on their labor. All, most, it's, it's a really a Ponzi scheme where at the top you're getting a few people who benefit so much from everyone else's labor and the resources of the planet. So if we actually took their wealth and redistributed it, then I think everyone, people, would have the time would have the energy would have the mental resources to actually think about these issues otherwise how can we expect people the people people are people go to the stores and even a few pennies of a difference right on on the things they buy makes a difference for them right they're they're thinking about you know i have this budget for this week Of course, for them, increasing meat prices, increasing oil prices is a big deal. How can they survive? These are questions of survival for most people, for budgets. But people at the top just keep getting richer and richer and richer. And they need to understand that they're accumulating the future. That's what they're doing. They're accumulating. They are holding the future hostage by not giving everyone else a chance to thrive. That's the problem. So that's the first thing I would do
0: that perfectly put that into like this this box. I think sometimes these things are so hard to put into words and it's mm. so hard to actually um you know just articulate what kind of you know with all of these injustices sometimes i personally you know struggle to put these things into words and into compartments and to make it make Mm. sense and not veer off to all these different topics because it's all interconnected but yeah I, i love um that you mentioned this redistribution uh of wealth because um you know on this planet this is I find in some way this is the the source of mm. everything that is it going is. wrong. And it I is. mean, just the, the sole fact that oil companies, that the richest people in the world within all of these crises that the world has been uh, facing and that have really surfaced so much more during the last few years, they've just made more and more mm-hmm. profit. And that yep. alone shows you that it really crisis and everybody else's misery is what they have been making their money off all along it just now really shows because you know while everybody else is suffering much more no matter where people live no matter their wealth there was something that was affecting everybody and still they made even more profit
1: oh yeah of course of course and and something that i i worry I, i think to me this is the source of it all the accumulation the un, the extreme unequal accumulation of wealth and an accumulation of wealth comes from the planet that wealth does not belong to those people It either belonged to their ancestors who stole it from other countries or pillaged the earth, pillaged the resources of the earth, but this planet belongs to all of us. So I think that there's a real ecological argument for redistribution, because we have invented this construct in our heads of private property. Like, that's their money, those billions and trillions of dollars, that's theirs, right? I think that's BS. I think that's complete BS. They stole that. That's stolen from the rest of the people. And what it means is that the rest of us cannot, most people on this planet, I'm very lucky. I'm a very privileged person who's very lucky, but most other people in, including myself, I would actually put myself in that, in that category because I find so much that my, when I'm thinking about how I use my time, I would rather use all of my time to impact but I have to still use a portion of my time to make a living, right? And in, 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 in a way where my discipline, which is very, um, you know, you have the people at the top and they hold all the power and they decide what gets studied and they don't, you know, they're not they're not being creative about what kinds of jobs are needed and what issues should be studied. So they're accumulating in a way a different kind of wealth at the top, um, but because it's not it's so centralized. Um, I think that you know you're you're just not really um, able to give other people a chance on my worst days, on my days when I'm being most pessimistic about things, I worry that we have gotten to a point where it does not make sense or it, from the perspective of these mega millionaires these the, the what the one percent who's very wealthy, this one percent who is very wealthy. It may have been the case that there could be an argument made to them: "Look, redistribute your wealth. This is better for you. This is better for your children. This is better for the world." But I think we've gotten to the point now where it may not make sense for them to redistribute because we are heading into a catastrophe. They will need their wealth. They need to become little countries in the future. These wealthy people will need armies. They will. They will. They will have the resources to be little countries. So they and their and their aunts, their children and. They will survive, right, what's going to come, because the fight for resources will most likely lead to societal breakdown and anarchy, right? So if I were, you know, I'm kind of putting myself in their shoes, what incentive do they have, right, to, to be a part of the solution, the real solution to these problems? Not much. Actually, if anything, the opposite, that's so great,
0: I mean, to really just, you know, say what you're thinking and something like this, you know, if you said this, um, maybe, to to another person who has not really been introduced to these issues and can't yeah. see this broader picture because yep. of just this lack of awareness and education they would say this is like this mm. is crazy it's a mm-hmm. conspiracy theory it sounds like something of a dystopian film or whatever mm. but this is something yeah exa- this is something it's that not, is also it's so just factual yeah <laughs> it it is and and especially you know if you look into a the little these these lives of these people, exactly what you're saying, why would they ever, they have the power to continue mm-hmm. this, they have the influence, they have the money, why would okay. they stop? Yeah, there will is be no okay. incentive <laughs> for them. And if they yeah. had something you know resembling a conscience or a sympathy or uh, you know yeah, they no. they would have stopped already and said you know any one of those people if they all together they could completely change yeah. the world they could use their they money could. their wealth their influence yeah. if they wanted to into such a beautiful more they equal could. place uh, yeah. but they don't Not ever. They don't make the tiniest, the tiniest uh, effort to change anything um into a positive. They just continue their business as usual and um even even exacerbated sometimes. And and for me, it's like uh in in our area there was a huge. Uh, Amazon distribution center that open up. And every time I drive mm. by, I just think, you know, this is something, Um, you know, some people, if they start making a lot of money, they maybe think about, you know, the sense of life. It's like, what am I actually doing here? You know, mm. what could I do in mm. my, let's say, if I'm lucky, 80 years of living on this planet? Because after that, no matter how rich you are, you know, yep. at some point it is over. So I think what is for you you know i want to know the, those people what in your head compels you to still go on with this with this business that is so unnecessary mm. for this plan because you know if it were my yep. choice i would shut it all down we don't need it it's just yep. doing harm it it yep. makes no sense. A farmer, I, somebody who grows food, healthcare professionals, we need all that, but we don't yeah. need that.
1: <laughs> no, the, the economy we have built is a cycle. It, it feeds itself. So, so let me take a step back and explain. You have, let, let's say you have your average family in the US, they have two kids, two, both parents working, because now both parents have to work to survive in this country. So both parents are working, um, they're young, so millennials, we work like, crazy hours. So mom and dad wake up, they're working, what, from from nine to probably 6.30 um, to, to make a living for their two kids. They're thinking about college expense, another, another Ponzi scheme right there, college, right? Expenses for college. So every, everything takes so much money Um, And so you have, let's say, a mom and a dad who don't have any time. For them, Amazon is solving a very big real problem, which is that I don't have time in my life to go and even do a simple grocery shopping, to even go do a simple uh, changing my, doing my laundry, doing cleaning my house, all of that gets outsourced, right? And, 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 and that fundamentally comes down to us, not we, all the, the what, what is happening, the biggest issue is that these people on the top, they want to just take people's labor and monetize it, right? And, and to, to make us buy things we don't actually need. The, the problem, the need for those things is caused by overworking, which it's, it's this kind of loop, this cycle of kind of um, constantly needing to work right, to, to to have things. And so I think if we really, you know, I, we, we lived in a world where college was seen as a public good, where you didn't have to worry about having money so that your child could better themselves and and go to college and improve the world, right. Then that, that, that worry would be gone. Uh, We didn't, we lived in a world where it was a four day work week, right. So Friday was a great day for people to catch up on everything that they needed to do in their houses. So they didn't need to go send someone else to the store to buy food for them, right. They didn't need to order and have a plane go from, you know, sometimes these planes, they go from, imagine one part of the country and the delivery part is 100 miles away. They fly across the country 2,000 miles to a center and then from that center fly back to the, the, the delivery point, which was initially 100 miles from the, from the warehouse. This is how inefficient <laughs> this system is, insane. right? They all, it's, it's absolutely insane, right? But this poor mom or dad doesn't have time in their day. We're not talking about the time. We're not talking about time being stolen from people enough. Because if they get time back and if their, their labor is not so exploited, maybe, maybe we would have a chance. But we don't yeah. have time. That's the, that, that to me is, it's all tied up in this capitalistic system where people's time is no longer respected.
0: Yeah, and I have to say something that is also that is um that I, I recently read something that's something like, you know, labeling um these jobs that are very you know that people do with their hands that are like trade jobs mm. et cetera. they are kind of labeled as that as a product of somebody you know not being smart enough and mm. having a lack of education uh-huh. just in yeah. order to exploit people who have those jobs and that Absolutely. is something right here that is especially in my town very different you know people mm. um, trade workers they And everybody knows we need them. They are paid well. And here, that is something, you know, people are now saying, you know, if you want a prosperous job, you know, learn a trade. Yes. (laughs) That is like something that is, um, you know, I think also changing in some parts. Um, And I think that is so true, especially, you know something if we're talking about which is very related here like i mean harvard these are Mm. ivy league halls these are you Mm. know this is a place where people pay a lot of money to be this is that is on people's resume and people say wow like you have gotten a, a top grade education and and that Maybe so, but it doesn't make you a better person or no. deserve to have an easier life Not than the all. person who, who is learning yes. a trade. And I think that is also yes. something that has to change a lot, you know, our, our values, how, how it we needs to be flipped. People. It needs yeah. to be
1: flipped that the people with those amazing skills. Like I couldn't I couldn't build a little box. If somebody was like, here's build a box. I'd be like, what? You know, to me it should be flipped that people who can do these amazing things, they can make roofs, they can make like, Oh my God, they should be, those people have the skills we like, we should everyone else with the skills I have. Like I can sit on a computer and, and, and do what do like, yeah, we should be looking up to them. <laughs> that that, that the, everything's upside down to me. In this yeah,
0: story. and I think I mean there there needs to be a mix of everything. There need to yes. be obviously
1: scientists,
0: researchers. Yes. I mean, there have to be speakers. There have to be people you know who who you know knowledge as well. All this knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. you you know when when you speak and I listen to you, I just think you know wow. Like I love the way your brain works, and we need <laughs> everybody working on these on these things yes. that are. Really really important in life together in a way you know equal measure where you can yep. say okay how can we learn from each other and not yes. you know diminish what another person is just because you know society tells us oh you know this is somebody who is who has chosen a lower class life like what mm-hmm. kind of a bullshit it's, is it's that so
1: it's there's so much bullshit yeah. there really is and it and it, it gets it gets reaffirmed and it gets fed to us from a young age um, and and uh, to me, it comes, it comes back down to this, this worshipping of wealth, this idea that, um, you know, the, the person who has millions and billions of dollars, somehow that is theirs. Yeah. That's not theirs. That's stolen. We're, it's, it's been legitimized in a system as not stolen. But it is. It's just yeah. stolen. It's stolen from the planet and it's stolen from other people. There's there's no you know, there's no uh, higher power out there saying this is their wealth. No. And in fact, what they've done is exploit people and exploit the, the planet
0: uh, yeah. to kind of
1: create the system where we're all OK with one person having so much wealth and so much influence where and then there's a, a a little girl working in India working her fingers this is just for an example for for because her family owes twenty dollars she's yeah. she's working her entire childhood yeah her and, owes
0: and that exactly is the thing you know I mean people um who have that amount of wealth are even you know as you said worshipped in this society but and I think something you know that sometimes gives me comfort to realize I mean the downside is that in this system you know no matter how much People may hate this and hate the companies or, or businesses mm. or people they're working for. You know, they depend on it, as you said, for their yes. everyday lives, just a yes. way to get from, from week to week. Yes, yep. but but yep. just realizing that no matter how rich you are in this world, no matter if mm. you're Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg, these people by themselves are as well, you know, nothing. They all need people mm-hmm. to work for yes. them on the other yes. hand that sometimes gives me a little bit of comfort thinking yes. about that because it's like they they themselves as one person have no effect you know they've built these empires they're just you know that people yeah. are reliant on yeah. um but that just gives me a tiny bit of comfort sometimes yeah
1: no I mean it's uh, it, uh, me too but I also kind of like I always think about I, I at the end of the day, I, I I I work for I work for a corporation, right? Um, and and yes, it has more of a more of a quote unquote repu, quote unquote good reputation. Um, but I work for a corporation, um, and and somebody who works for Facebook also works for a corporation. Somebody who works for Amazon works for a corporation, and and I have to sit with that because I am I'm anti corporation, and yet my livelihood right depends on this corporation, and, and sometimes I sit back and I think to myself, how, and, and this is, I can't even compare this to let's say the, the farmer who's growing coffee beans, who gets what, like 0.1 cents on, on the, the profits that are made. Yeah. But for, for in my case, I go into a classroom, I've created all the material, I have created that entire class, I have done I have done everything. That class could easily run in a private space that has nothing to do with Harvard, because I did everything. I yeah. did everything. And and I, I think a lot about sort of what each what 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 is the what is the profit of my class? It's pretty immense, probably, to the to to the corporation I work for, right? Yeah. Um, and yet I see what probably five percent of that, maybe even less. Um, and I'm doing everything, right? That the only thing that you know, and, and now with with being virtual what prevents us from so the only other area was this corporation sort of pays for the lights and pays for the room that I'm in but that could be easily moved virtually that could be moved online so other than that these these institutions kind of just they they like steal labor (laughs) you know they just take Mm -hmm. in a yeah it just but I'm reliant on it I'm relying
0: on it yeah but I think on the other hand you know I don't know if you've ever gotten this question if people say like well you know if you have those views and this idealistic world view or whatever why don't you you know teach somewhere else but I think it's so important you know who's going to break the mold if you only have you know the same uh, like same street thinking people in in one you know classroom in one teacher's lounge you know who's going to go there and say okay since I I have the power to create this class Mm. and what I'm going to say and what I'm going to instill in these students where maybe a student, you know, often there are these stories of people who have, you know, made really, you know, great impact um mm-hmm. in wherever they are or invented something or started something that has a really positive impact on environment and people and they said mm-hmm. you know i read this one book i heard this one person talk i, yeah. I you know and and that might be you so mm-hmm. if that so. that's
1: i think very
0: important yeah. as well
1: yes no and I, and I agree i think that that's the other side of it that i that i that i I, I think I used to discount that. I, I went through a phase where I was very angry with myself, and I was wondering what kind of good impact am I having? And then now I, I'm increasingly kind of believing inside of myself, which is the tough part, right? Really believing it yourself that that what I the, the impact I could have on on my students, on the younger generation um, that that that's that's it. That's what it's all about. There's there's this Planck's principle, uh, which is this idea that sort of um, you know, if you want change, the the people who are currently in power are not gonna not gonna do it. It's the the next generation that's gonna the the old dinosaurs quote unquote have to die out, right? This is Planck's principle, um, and so I think I, I learned about that, and something about that idea just really went inside of me, and um, now I, I really do view as my my mission as sort of just speaking the truth, in in the most you know powerful settings i can get into just speaking the truth yeah and that's and
0: that's really impactful and also very brave and i think that's something uh you know especially in in our everyday lives and work settings and everything you know sometimes people don't feel like they can yeah Um, and i think it's really you know great that you that you're doing that that you've you know made this um your mission but Also, I want to know because I like, you know, towards the end of a podcast, Mm. I really like to um, end it on a positive note because there are obviously (laughs) things that go very wrong. But, you know, to leave people with something like here's a little light at the end of the tunnel. So um, are there any positive developments in the field? Uh, Anything that gives you hope or maybe has positively surprised you recently where you said, wow, that's actually kind of great that this is happening?
1: I, 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 there are, there are, there are. So, um, you know, I think uh, there's many, I'll, I'll focus on, we we just finished kind of talking about Harvard. So I'll, 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 I'll focus on that. I think that there's a lot of activity right now. So, so two, three years ago when I was, I, Trying to, trying to go, I was going around being like, plant-based, we need, to, we need to have more classes. Nobody was listening to me. And now a few years later, I think there's been more awareness. And so I am finding that I'm having more success. With, so I used to pitch things, I would always get no's. And uh, I'm very happy to, uh, th- I just made this announcement the, the other day, but um, I, Harvard approved me to teach the very first class ever, Taught at Harvard on the costs of animal agriculture, so so I'm teaching the first lecture course ever taught there. They said yes after two years. So I'm very kudos to them for, for letting me do this course, um, and I think I'm going to have large amounts, hopefully, of students coming through me who I can share evidence with, I can share information with. Um, we're going to be partnering them with with um, with NGOs and with different groups, so whether it's companies and, and in the plant-based space, NGOs working in the plant-based space, we're gonna partner students with with groups out in the real world who are trying to make a difference. Um, and the students are gonna learn from those groups and help them solve a problem they're having. So so this course is, is kind of like my baby. Um, we're partnered with UC Berkeley who, who had a similar version of this course. So they're helping us. Um, the other good news is that at Harvard, Radcliffe got very excited about a proposal from me and another professor at HBS named Max Bazerman uh, and uh, Plant Futures Initiative at UC Berkeley. They got very excited about us and they are funding us to have a two-day workshop at Harvard where we try to bring people at Harvard to the table around the lack of representation of animal agriculture and its costs. So this is the plant-based space um, at Harvard. So that'll happen in August. Um, And so part of the challenge now is sort of just getting, we, we need people, we need Harvard leaders to come to this. So the more attention we can get, the more we can kind of show, you know, to say, show Harvard, look, the outside world really cares about this and this is a good move for you all to make. Um, the, the better, and, and, I, and I kind of view Harvard as a microcosm because if this issue becomes legitimized at Harvard, let's say Harvard becomes a hub of plant-based activity and, and environmental change, and let's say Harvard's cafeterias go vegan completely, imagine the signal of legitimacy that would, that would boom around the world right yeah
0: that so, would be really incredible and yes. i'm so so excited for yep. you and i can't even imagine all the you know hard work oh. and the probably <laughs> the nights where you were sitting there and thought oh, how can this be so yep. hard you know yeah <laughs> you important know important issues into <laughs> classrooms and you know educating about this which is so important and i think as you said i mean on the other hand it's so sad you know if if there is like a guy in your town who starts a permaculture garden is like, hey, guys, you know, let's do this. Let's get more plant-based food in there. Let's grow regeneratively. People are like, oh, that's just, you know, this one yep. hippie. But yes. if Harvard does it, yes. it's suddenly like, wow, you know, this yes. is the right step. Although exactly. so many other, you know, organizations have been saying, you know, we have I got know. to do this. And, know. you know, on the other hand, it's 2022. So, yes, starting something like that is yep. a very good idea in it, my opinion. It's, exactly,
1: it's sad in a way. Right? Like I, I, I completely agree with you. It's like you have so many grassroots organizations that get no attention and such little funding. They've been doing this work for so long and connecting it to so many issues connecting it to capitalism, connecting it to call it decolonization,? Right? And, and they, they get poo pooed right? They get like sidelined, they don't get any attention, But Harvard gets attention right yeah. and I know that I know that it does um,
0: but it's so it's so it's so good that you're you know it's it's so incredible that you're doing this because I mean someone has to start it and it takes so much you know work that nobody acknowledges you mm. for that nobody <laughs> yep. pays you for that nobody no. says like wow good on you this is so great we want to support you it's more like uh, uh I don't think we need this <laughs> yeah these, oh these are my the goodness. most important issues you for issues. saying that
1: you're, you're, yeah. probably, you're the first person other than my husband well an also- I
0: I would be coming to that class like that would be the only
1: <laughs> class to have you.
0: Going I to would Broadway. I will officially uh, invite you really congratulations it's, oh, it's very you. great work that you're doing and I mean one thing is also that often you know CEOs of many companies or, or the people that are very high up they have often enjoyed Ivy League education mm. which as well just shows that there has to be a very big shift yes. uh, you know in education and saying there you know, does. no matter where you're going, no matter what you're aiming for, you should be caring about the planet. You should be conscious of yep. you know what you're doing and the footprint that you're leaving. So yep. you know this is very important, and I applaud you, and I'm looking forward
1: to seeing what you're doing with it. Oh, thank you, and, and Stella, right back at you. I think you know I'm I I know that the work the work you're doing is 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 pure passion and. I, you know, we're uh, and from one leader to another leader, don't stop.
0: Thank you. I I won't. I I'm I'm going to you know, it's 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 hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. but you know it's it's good to hear that and sometimes knowing, you know, that you're doing what you believe in and also having other people say, you know, I yep. I understand that I yes. relate to that. That's you know, all yep. you need sometimes to go forward. So yep. it's good yeah. that we can lift each other up. Exactly. We
1: lift each other up. And I hope that your your listeners know how wonderful how wonderful you are and and what what a great thing you're doing
0: thank you so much thank you